0: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a guy who can burn things with a magnifying glass at night, Mike Vandebogart. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Uh, thank you to everyone that's tuning in once again to
1: uh, Locations Unknown. Uh, no new updates this time, but I'm just happy to see that society's starting to open up again and uh, businesses are slowly reopening here in Milwaukee, Joe. Uh, tomorrow, bars are opening for the first time. Well. In uh, several months. All right.
0: <laughs> so, uh, excited. Uh, how's right, it going on your we, end? We might have to do an episode after a night out at the bars. Oh, man, that would be messy. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be not much different than our normal episodes. I, I guess. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm glad we're slowly getting back to reality, you know, barring all the craziness that's happening outside of the craziness that was already happening and hopefully no new craziness happens
1: i am just ready to write 2020 off
0: (laughs) yep well let's let's get into this case and uh you can just think about something other than politics and all the crap that's going on exactly all right everybody let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown 8-year-old Jonathan OJ traveled into the Devil's Punchbowl Natural Area, northeast of downtown Los Angeles in Antelope Valley, to go for a trail run. Many witnesses report seeing Jonathan that day, however, he never returned home. Join us this week as we investigate what happened to Deputy Jonathan OJ in a possible conspiracy that points to his disappearance.
1: devil's punch bowl natural area is a los angeles county park uh it's also within the san gabriel mountain national monument area and is a part of the angeles national forest so if you look at a map it's actually surprisingly close to downtown la close to downtown la <laughs> <laughs> It always shocks me when you you look at a map of the greater LA metro area how much natural space they do have kind of mixed in with extremely dense city.
0: Oh, and it's so dense. Yeah, <laughs> like and I'm not saying that to be a joke. I'm just saying like they cram- there's so many people crammed in there and there's like so much nature just right outside of it.
1: It really is amazing. I, I think out of all the big cities in the U.S., I think LA has probably got some of the most amazing natural areas. You know that close to downtown, so yeah, this is another one of them, Devil's Punch Bowl. Uh, so it is located south of the Pear Blossom Highway, uh, which is California Route 138, near the towns of Little Rock and Pear Blossom. The Devil's Punch Bowl Nature Center is operated by the Los, Los Angeles County Department of Parks and Recreation. That would be the sister group to uh, Pawnee. Um, there you go. <laughs> just kidding. And as not. you as you are reading <laughs> off the road to...
0: I don't know if some people are either too young or don't remember the SNL skits of the Californians. <laughs> I don't even remember that. <laughs> <laughs> when it's just a bunch of like surfer guys and they talk about California and they just over-discuss how to get to places. Oh, I do remember the, that. Yeah, it's like, oh, just take the Pear Blossom Highway down CA Route 138 near the town <laughs> of Little Rock and Blossom, and you'd be right there, man. <laughs> I do remember that now. That is pretty funny. okay go on i'm sorry go on no that
1: that's a that's a funny little clip i'll have to watch it later uh so like (laughs) i said the uh, devil's punchbowl nature center focuses on flora fauna and geological features of the park and the center offers school programs parties guided park tours as well as telescope programs with an 11 11 inch telescope uh so it sounds like a pretty cool place if you've got Young kids, and like we said, it's it's pretty much right in uh, LA. So the primary attractions of the park are its geological formations, including the Punch Bowl Formation of the Neogene period. If you've seen pictures of this, it's it's literally like someone punched a big hole in the ground, and there's a fountain, (laughs) like a waterfall, going (laughs) into it. Yeah, the whole the whole area is
0: pretty cool looking.
1: The Punch Bowl is a deep canyon categorized by its plunging uh, syncline. I don't know if I said that right, Joe.
0: Yeah, no, that's right. Okay.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A V-shaped folding of the Earth's strata caused by compression. So the, just like
0: you said, they punched the Earth in.
1: Exactly, yeah. So the mountain peaks above the park are about 8,000 feet in elevation compared to the park's nature center at 4,700 feet above sea level. The Punchbowl Canyon is 300 feet deep at the vista point. So, you know, not nothing I think you'd be worried about as far as terrain uh, 8,000 feet is still, you yeah, know, but you're low starting enough. at
0: 4,700, so it's not too gnarly.
1: No. And the weather in Southern California is, you know, pretty awesome year round. So I don't think yeah. exposure is going to be a huge issue.
0: <laughs> well, it could, yeah, it, it's just uh, like the de- hot, dry, desert ish type heat midday. Yep. But I, it's not like major desert, like a Joshua tree or something like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, like Joe said, the weather for the area is uh, warmer throughout the year. Typical, you know, Southern California desert, hot and dry. So uh, that's kind of a summary of the Devil's Punchbowl area. And I'm going to jump right into the character profile of John. John was a canine unit dog handler with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. He was a member of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Special Enforcement Bureau uh, before that, he had been a paratrooper in the Army Special Forces. So this guy was no joke. This guy's no joke. I'd say he's uh, highly trained, uh, probably very disciplined, and uh, probably great physical condition. He, he sounds like kind of a, you know, one of your super cops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, Special Enforcement Bureau handles SWAT and canine operations for the Sheriff's Department and they also negotiate hostage situations and serve warrants. So John worked nights so he could be in the, the thick of the action and he's reliable and conscientious, seldom calling in sick or using his vacation time. So uh, other you know he's highly trained, <clears throat> great physical condition and uh, has a tremendous work ethic. Sounds like a you know just an all-around uh, you know GI Joe. Yeah, GI Joe. G.I. John. So John was six feet tall, weighed approximately 165 pounds at the time he went missing. He had brown hair and brown eyes and was wearing olive green shorts with pockets, a light colored shirt, hiking boots, black crew socks, and a blue and white or green and white baseball cap. He was also wearing a Casio brand running watch, black oval shaped sunglasses, and he was carrying a forest green Jansport brand day pack. You know, John was an avid runner and outdoorsman. He uh, regularly traveled to the Sierra on weekends for hiking and camping trips. And he had staged more than 10 climbing exped- expeditions uh, on Mount Whitney, the highest peak in the lower 48. So this just goes back into what I would say he's not only highly trained from a law enforcement perspective, but. He also is, seems highly trained in the backcountry.
0: Yeah, he knows, he knows his surroundings. He's familiar with that type of climate and stuff.
1: He can hike. He can climb. He can pretty much do it all. Yeah. So as a member of the SEB running team, he competed against other local law enforcement agencies, and he also ran in individual races. The previous weekend, he and a few SEB deputies had completed a 50-mile ultramarathon, his sixth in late, Jeez. I know that's crazy.
0: <laughs> I got tired thinking about one. I know I, I don't like <laughs> running. So that I don't like, I, that sentence made me tired as well. <laughs> <I
1: know. laughs> in late June, he had planned to take part in Western States, hundred mile endurance run, a 20 plus hour trek through steep mountain terrain in Northern California. So guy is crazy. Good. And you know, At
0: running and yeah, no thanks. None of that sounds good at all to me. (laughs) No, I'd like to hike through a lot of that, but I'm not running through it. Yeah, I'll hike through it over several
1: (laughs) days, not just
0: endurance for 20 hours straight.
1: Yeah. So uh, in the six months since he had qualified for the race, John had been going on daily runs, including trips a couple of times a month to the punch bowl. It was an area he knew well, having spent countless hours over the years hiking and running uh, its trail network. The hours of physical training he logged in his uh, spare time were in order to stay in optimal shape for his job, he believed. He, he thought it was his duty to give 110% to the department. So so just to summarize John as person, um, he works for you know kind of a SWAT team type department in the sheriff's department. He's ex-special forces, um, great physical condition you know, highly trained in law enforcement and backcountry hiking and climbing. Uh, and he knows the area very well. So yeah, I would, it's a
0: good it's a good setup for, I think, and, and I'm not going to ruin it for you, Mike, in the end, but it yeah. sets up for how someone like that could go missing in an area that they frequent so often.
1: Yeah. If I was profiling people that I thought would have an issue, you know, maybe going missing, I would not think of John as one of those people.
0: Oh, absolutely not. Just even with the even if he wasn't an ultra marathon runner and wasn't in that great of shape. Just the special forces training. Yeah. The stuff they go through in the army special forces would allow you to survive for a significant amount of time in the wilderness yeah. in, in an area you probably don't know.
1: I, you can, I think you can be safe to assume that he is going to be prepared to handle any situation out in the back country. Yeah. Um, whether he knows the area or not. I think that's just due to his, you know, military training. Um, but being in such physical great physical condition also helps too. Um, yeah, all around, uh, I can't imagine how this guy went
0: missing, but I'm excited
1: to hear about it, Joe.
0: <laughs> all right, Mike, and before we get in the timeline, let's just hear a word from our sponsor.
1: This episode of locations unknown is sponsored by payoff.com. You've tried balance transfers in budgeting but high interest rates and unrelenting bill cycles make it almost impossible to get out of credit card debt on your own. Instead of another new savings technique, you need a clear path out of debt, and that's what a payoff loan can do. A payoff loan is a personal loan backed by member-centric credit unions designed to help you pay off your credit cards. With rates as low as 5.99% APR and loan amounts up to $35,000, there's no hidden fees and there's personal customer service support from Payoff to help you reach your financial goals. Some of the benefits of a Payoff loan may also include potential credit score boost, one monthly payment, and savings from lower interest rates. So go to payoff.com slash locations unknown to learn more. Checking your loan rates won't affect your credit score. So try something new. Pay off your credit card debt with Payoff. NMLS ID number 1396805. Not all applicants may qualify. Loans only available within the United States and loans are not available in all states. Payoff works with lending partners who originate the loans. Additional terms, conditions, and eligibility requirements may apply. More information is available at payoff.com locationsunknown June 11th, 1998.
0: The day John went missing... He informed his supervisor to tell him that he didn't want to take a new position within the department as a firearms instructor, that he was offered and instead wanted to stay as a canine deputy. John was a canine deputy for three years and his dog Bosco lived with him at home. Early into his outing on that day, John came across a teacher with a group of kids whose classroom he actually had recently visited with his canine partner Bosco. John stopped to talk He told the group of his route to the summit of a 9,400-foot Mount Balden uh, pole 20 miles off. He said he'd be back around sunset, and then he continued running. So we don't know exactly what time John took off. Uh, It wasn't in the records, but Mm -hmm. we know immediately that... and I just wanted to set up initially the things that was going on, so it's not normally a big deal that he informed a supervisor. Do you want to take a job? Yeah. But as we go on, there's gonna be a lot of these little things that pop up that kind of make you wonder. So that's the little hint for the rest of the story. Okay. So he's running during the day. He comes across uh, comes across this classroom. He had recently visited all these kids and talks to him for a bit. Tells him what's going on. Later that day, two employees of a camp along the trail saw a man who fit John's description jogging in the direction of the. Baden-Powell, confirming that he was still on track, essentially. Okay. Now we're going to fast forward to 6 p.m. that evening. A third camp employee spotted a man with a green pack heading towards the parking lot. So now we're at the point where we have a bunch of people seeing him heading to his destination. Now we have a guy heading back towards the parking lot. Shortly after that last sighting, a nearby resident told a park employee that he heard a single gunshot in the vic- in the vicinity of the punch bowl. So a little little eeriness to, to set you up there. Okay. <laughs> at eleven PM that night, Deborah, who is uh John's wife, reported that her husband was missing to the Palmdale Sheriff Station as he had failed to return after dark as promised. And two deputies drove to the punch bowl immediately. They discovered the truck preserving it as possible crime scene and called for the department's search and rescue squad, which was deployed at eleven thirty PM So the two deputies drove to the parking lot, found John's truck uh, and really and really didn't mess with it and they called other people in right away. We hear the report of a gunshot possibly at dusk. So
1: yes. like 8:30. Mhm. He's reported missing at 11 and the search and rescue
0: team is deployed by 11:30. Yep, and they know it was sh- they know the shot was shortly after the other park employee told them because it was reported to another park employee and they were communicating over the radio. So that's a pretty good turnaround time. It's a good turnaround time and you think you know what happened. And yeah. that's where that and that's kind of why I like this one is it seems very clear cut that either he did something to himself or something happened. But it's going to get it's going to get pretty crazy as we go on. <laughs> OK, so I, I wanted to set it up with you think, OK, maybe something happens. So now we're on June 12th because they started they deployed at 1130 at night. So they're searching through the night. Uh, searchers from the SEB join the effort. And that's the Special Enforcement Bureau from Los Angeles as did three more search and rescue groups, the K-9 unit and the Sheriff's Emergency Services details. So there's a lot of people out right away looking for John. Yeah. His his former partner on the SWAT team, David Rathbun, joined in the search assuming uh, uh, John would reappear quickly. John's tough as nails, he remembers thinking. They'll find him and bring him out. He'll probably have a sprained or broken ankle. John's family members were confident he'd be able to withstand the harsh desert. His father-in-law told a story about how John scared off a 500-pound black bear when the two were camping in the Sierras. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, this guy, yeah, this guy's like, he'll he'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would think, and I, I'm not even shocked to hear he was scaring bears away. <laughs> uh. The bear's probably crying after the event. Yeah, got, the bear's got PTSD now. <laughs> so as the day wore on, and we're on the uh, the next day on the 12th, as the day wore on, there were still no signs of John. His friends and family started to worry. David Rathman that's his friend is quoted "When OJ comes li- uh, didn't come limping out of the wilderness within the first 24 hours we got pretty antsy." So they searched through the whole day um, and started kind of losing hope at the end. So now we're on to June 13th. on this day there were searchers from a nearby Air Force Base an Army Black Hawk helicopter was deployed near Mount Baden Powell while additional helicopters, horses, all-terrain vehicles, therm- thermal imaging equipment, and infrared technology were deployed as well to search the punchbowls, ravines, and crevices. Searchers were airlifted to mountaintops and some of the mines along the trail. Nothing was really ever found of John. So they really they took out all the stops. And if you do look at the pictures, there are a ton of places where one could potentially topple, fall, get lost. Yeah. Um, I think of our our, our unfortunate uh one with Paul in Joshua tree where he was just off trail somewhere in a little crevice and they, it took almost a year for them to find their remains. So you're thinking about that. And normally I would say that would be where we kind of leave it off is maybe something happened. Maybe the gunshot wasn't related. He could have got injured, fell, got knocked out, something like that. Mm -hmm. But as we get into the theories and things we start needing to include is where you can start really getting, what I always call going Hollywood on the story.
1: So if <laughs> yeah. You, oh, go ahead, Mike. <clears throat> oh, and I was just gonna say, um, and yeah, I don't doubt that they probably pulled all the stops out on during the search being that he was a fellow law enforcement officer. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, it sounds like they had everybody out there mm-hmm. and you look at the map of this place. It's not a huge park. It's not, we're not talking glacier or, uh,
0: you know, Yellowstone or, you know, something like that. It's a pretty yep. s- small confined park. So in well-defined trails too. So it's not like you're out on your own. I mean, it, I think it's, um, the fact that he ran into so many people along the way, it's close to the city. I'm sure lots of people go there a lot. So it's not like he was out there well-defined and yeah, highly trafficked. So a few interesting items that we need to include John and his wife were married for 12 years, but we're heading towards divorce. They had a single daughter together who at the time of his disappearance was five years old. A month before he left his home for the last time, John had told Deborah that they thought they should go their separate ways. An ultra marathoner named Vicky DeVita, whom John was dating said to investigators that John had told her he planned to go on an overnight walkabout in the wilderness accompanied by a deputy friend of John. She spent the night in the punch bowl calling for him, but nothing. So, John tells his wife he's going for a run, but he tells his girlfriend, who he's essentially leaving his wife for, that he's going for an overnight walkabout in the wilderness. John had hoped to move in with Vicky and had requested she submit to an HIV test before the two consummated their relationship. (laughs) Did she uh, have AIDS? I don't know. They didn't stay, but like the fact that it, it started to paint this guy as kind of a goofy dude. Yeah. Like, he's dating some girl. He's like, all right, before we consummate this, I want you to do an HIV test. Um, Vicky died in 2010. Uh, don't know what it was related to. I couldn't find that. But they, yeah. that was mentioned in the notes. Okay. So, in the first week after John's disappearance, the d- the department uh, retrieved his dog Bosco from his house and boarded him at a kennel in Riverdale. Within two weeks, Bosco, who was seven, died. A spokesperson from the sheriff's department told reporters the cause of the was a ruptured artery, but uh, his wife's mother was quoted saying Bosco had died of a broken heart. So that's just a sad part. But yeah, I think it's, no. it's all it's it's kind of poetic in a way how those two must have been so connected. And you've seen stories like that, like where the dog like almost can't handle it or can tell something is wrong. Mm-hmm. So just a little tidbit. Not really important to the case. I feel bad no, for but the dog. It's <laughs> interesting. Yeah, that's too bad for the dog. Um,
1: it's amazing that they found it, but yeah. then it died. Um,
0: well, it was at it. Was, the dog wasn't with him. It was at his house. Oh, he didn't take the dog on the hike with no, him. No, no. Okay, gotcha. So the last thing Deborah remembers John saying. Now this is the morning that he was leaving to go to the punch bowl. The last thing she remembers him saying, and remember Deborah is his current wife that they're headed towards divorce. Yeah. He said to her, Have a nice life. Tell Chloe I love her. And Chloe's his five year old daughter. So hmm. that's a little eerie. Uh, that's not like he- I'm going to be gone for a day hike. And I'll see you tonight. Exactly. That's kinda like, I'll never see you again. That's where you start <laughs> thinking that's something you say if you're going to potentially off yourself. Like something this guy is not right. Maybe he's got some issues from his time in the service or yeah. spending that many years on a special enforcement bureau with LA in some of the areas in LA that you can imagine the stuff he's seen and been through. So you mix those together. It could be bad, you know, bad juju. And you have, what is it like 22 service members a day commit suicide on average? Like it's yeah, pretty it's, sad. It's a sad like, number. Exactly. So he's probably been through a lot of stuff. Now you, you add in all that. So you start thinking, okay, this sounds like a guy who's going to go off in a wilderness in a place he enjoys and just be done with life. Yeah. So, Debbie spoke to a private investigator to find out whether John was cheating on her, but she did abandon that line of inquiry after learning that it would cost her 500 bucks. Soon, she began to think her husband's goodbye seemed like that of a man planning to kill himself. In retrospect, she thought John had been acting differently. There had been a cold, intense look in his eye the final time she saw him, and a month before, during an argument about their relationship, he held a loaded gun to his temple as he drove on the freeway, and he screamed... What do you want me to do? Kill myself? Shocked, Deborah burst into tears in the passenger seat. I would say <clears throat> that's more than just acting a little strange. Or oh, yeah, that's, there's a stability issue there. Of, so something's going on in this guy's life.
1: I You know, I yeah, I don't think it's normal for people to hold a loaded gun to their head. and No, not yell. at all. That's, no. yeah. While I would driving say, yeah.
0: a car on a freeway?
1: <laughs> yeah. I would say that's more than just acting a little differently, but... Um, maybe you get used to somebody acting, you know, strange if they they're like that way for a while. I don't know. That just seems incredibly bizarre to me.
0: Absolutely. And on top of it you have this thing too and this is something that's very typical or at least I've seen of people who are going to commit suicide and they start giving away personal belongings or things that mm. they feel belong to them. So he had packed up his running medals as well as climbing and hiking memorabilia that he had been on the wall of a spare room and returned a family heirloom bookshelf to his in-laws. John also gave a gold necklace to his to his father's of his father, excuse me, to Davita, and that's the lady he was who was dating. Yeah. So he's giving away all of his personal stuff to people he cares about. So that's going to bring us into the full theories. The L.A. Sheriff's Department believe the most likely committed suicide. they jump right to the suicide. Family members did not believe that John would commit suicide because he was so close to his daughter Chloe. It's quote his brothers quoted, "I never believed it for a minute. The guy had too much pride, said his nephew and I'd put that back I'd put that on the back burner and rule it out Scott Griffs, a close friend who frequently went on ride alongs with John felt the de- deputy simply had no reason to kill himself. I mean, he had a zest for life. He recalled how his friends seemed happy about the new relationship he was starting with DeVita. So now that's where you can start twisting about maybe he's not going to kill himself, but he is just done with his current marriage. I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah. his coldness and the things he's doing are more pointed towards maybe he's just done with his wife and he's giving those things away to cut ties of that, but then he's giving... His necklace to his potential future father in law, yeah, uh, or, and and you know trying to move on with this other person. So, I think there's that. I mean,
1: yeah, I guess you could you could say that. You know, friends think he he had a zest for life, but I still go back to you know instant like holding a loaded gun to your head, driving down the freeway. That that's not somebody that has a zest for life. That's somebody that I think has a. A mental condition.
0: Yep. And devil's advocate to, and going along with what you're saying too, it reminds me also of when you hear people that threaten to commit suicide are not typically the ones who do it. It's the ones who you never suspect would potentially do it. And it's, it's another sad, uh, true aspect of that. When sometimes people are not well, they don't show signs of it or they're very minute signs or things like that. So there's still, that's, I'd say it's not off the table. Yeah. You know, based on the evidence of witnesses, of what a witness heard. Um, but the, still, what, what what baffles me, and I don't want to get too far, but if he did commit suicide along the trail, why didn't they find him?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, unless he committed suicide by, like, jumping into a ravine or a crevasse or something, you would assume that he would have committed suicide in a, a fashion that, would have left his body discoverable because usually well, and you they look leave at a the note. Gun,
0: and you look at the gunshot. If, if it's the gunshot he did that, there would be uh, all the things that happen when you shoot yourself. And yeah. it's not like you can hide that stuff. And they were searching for him within hours, and they had dogs out and things like that. So it's it, there's that. I'll leave it at that, and we'll, we'll keep moving <laughs> on because there's a lot more other stuff that's going to start happening here. Okay. <laughs> so there was a theory that Jonathan had been killed by a fellow deputy as part of a plan to hush up links to the meth world. The Los Angeles Sheriff's Special Enforcement Bureau had been embroiled in a long legal case and investigation relating to corruption involving meth production and trafficking. Mm. There were rumors circulating within Antelope Valley stations that deputies were warning meth players of pending drug busts. In the early 1990s, a five-year internal investigation led to the indictment of 35 deputies who'd stolen millions of dollars from drug dealers. FBI video surveillance captured a surgeon and two narcotics detectives taking 30 grand from a drug dealer's hotel room. A a detective assigned to the elite narcotics team was arrested for hiding $150,000 and stolen by a colleague. So there's, you're starting to get into that corrupt cop type stuff Yeah, and it started to change the narrative of what possibly could have happened.
1: Now that to me is very believable. Um, You've seen this play out in a lot of big cities across the country. I think of the... Training Day? Yeah, the movies. But, I mean, even actual documentaries, I can't remember the name of it now, but it it follows these cops in New York City, I think, Mm -hmm. in the 80s. And similar kind of stuff. They would steal money off of, you know, criminals during arrests. They were selling drugs and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so I can definitely see something like that being a one possible theory to what happened to him. He got mixed up with the wrong people and maybe he went to meet someone in, you know, the punch bowl and things went south and now he's, you know, missing.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to keep going. Don't, don't, don't sew it shut just yet, Mike. You're going to hear a lot more information. (laughs) Okay. And then I want to, I want to get a raw read from you before I tell you what I think. So, all right. A few days after John vanished, a woman linked to the Antelope Valley's outlaw bikers called the sheriff's department to report she'd heard that John had come across a meth lab and was taken care of, quote-unquote. Then a tip came in from an informant who said a biker dealer claimed that after the deputy discovered something on his jog, he was going to be a hero and was taken care of before being put in a hole. Okay. Separate investigations by the FBI, by a sheriff's homicide detective, in the Operation Silent Thunder Drug Task Force, which John had been a part of, turned up similar intelligence. Years later, John's former boss, Mike Bauer, began to suspect that a different deputy, someone who's now retired, had murdered John. Mm. There were plenty of stories, but none were confirmed. A woman claimed to know where his body was buried, and a man contacted a task force saying he was present when the deputy was murdered. A third person reported seeing John return to his truck in the Devil's Punchbowl Bowl parking lot at dusk before walking back out with his backpack in the in the direction of two armed bikers. The witness then heard screaming. Deputy Randall uh, Randall Herber I'm gonna butcher their name now. Herberly, <laughs> I think that's what it is, insists that when he arrived at the Punch Bowl after John was reported missing, He spotted a snub-nosed 38 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver on the center console of the truck. And he's quoted, No deputy back then would leave their gun visible. The chance that a passerby might see it break into the vehicle and use the gun to commit a crime was too high. It's it's not just a red flag, he says. It's full-on fireworks. 4th of July. He says he reported the gun to the others on the site, but the official missing persons flyers stated that John was likely carrying the gun. My recollection is that we could not account for his two-inch revolver," says Dave Sauer, the sergeant who led the search. Now, this is where the story and conspiracy gets crazy. <laughs> it's, it's, I know, there's like I just threw so much information at you. We're yeah. gonna come back to it, but I actually no, let's let's recap now because I'm gonna get okay. into some other stuff as later. So it looked like clear-cut suicide. Yeah. Then it then. With a couple more things of information, it looks like he might be entangled in some underground stuff and got caught up doing bad cop stuff. Yeah. Then new information comes (laughs) that makes it seem like he actually was a good cop and potentially got killed by either meth lab people, bikers, or bad cops for trying to out bad cops. Yeah. So I like to always pretend that the people on our show are good people. So right now, I like the idea that he was going to make some big bust, and he's a super cop like Dwayne the Rock Johnson from Baywatch, even though he's <laughs> not a cop, but he wanted to be one. Yeah. Um, or he's acting like one, and he's going to go take care of this because he's a badass. You know, he's he's special forces. He fights mm-hmm. off bears, and it just didn't work out for him. So we're gonna we're gonna stop there. Okay. Do you have any comments before we go forward?
1: No, I, I at first I was I was leaning towards suicide. And then as you were talking about, you know, maybe another deputy killed him. He was entangled in, you know, the meth uh, underworld. That seemed pretty plausible. And but I I like the good guy. Uh, You know, he was a good guy that was in the the wrong spot at the wrong time, similar to our our first case.
0: Exactly. Um, So, yeah, that brings us right back to episode one with Paul. Yeah. So, as I said, this is where the story and conspiracy gets a little crazier. In May of 2018, now we're later in the year. Darren Hager, a deputy, a deputy with Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, received a jury award of 4.5 million upon their finding that Hager was wrongfully termina- terminated in retaliation for looking too closely into this disappearance. Mm. In December of 1999, Hager arrested a man who offered to become an informant against five major methamphetamine manufacturers and distributors in the Antelope Valley he not only provided leads for ongoing drug investigations he reported a rumor that a certain deputy was involved in uh, in john's disappearance then in january of 2000 lasd homicide detective received permission to reopen the case and after three months in, of investigation he concluded that another deputy was involved in the drug trade and was a prime suspect in the murder of john allegedly the homicide captain refused to authorize a search warrant Took the detective off the case and threatened to terminate the detective if he continued with that case. <laughs> so, in March of 2000, a joint narcotics task force was formed targeting the major meth dealers in Antelope Valley. Hager was the LASD member of the DEA task force. Now, this is the guy who later on, uh, year in 2018, so you know, just a few years ago, was awarded that 4.5 million for being yeah. terminated for all this. The then-assistant sheriff, Larry Waldy ordered Hager to investigate the narcotics with the DEA, but to only document, not to investigate any information obtained on John or any corrupt deputies, which was to be later turned over to Homicide or the LASD and Terminal Criminal Investigation Bureau. Hager considered the DEA task force investigation an enormous success. The 11th month investigation led to 290 state arrests, and 32 federal convictions for narcotics manufacturing and trafficking, and as he was instructed, Hager said he turned over the information he obtained relating to John and any corrupt deputies to his lieutenant, who transmitted it up the chain of command. Hager said he was the subject. He was then subject to an 11-month investigation by Internal Affairs Bureau, which he contended was retaliation for reporting the information about corrupt deputies. On July 28, 2003, he was terminated from his job. Hager then filed a lawsuit with the L.A. County uh, Superior Court against the Sheriff's Department and the county for retaliation and wrongful termination. He argued that since he was hired in February of 1998, he was rated outstanding for his last three reviews in 99, 2000, 2001, and in 2002, he went to Washington, D.C. to be presented with the DEA's Administrator Award for his work on the task force and that such termination was improper. After his termination, Hager said he was unable to find work because of the nature of the charges made against him. Reckless investigation, disobeying orders, and making false statements to his superiors. The defense argued that John committed suicide and that the supposed corrupt deputies involved in the death was disproven by the February to April 2001 homicide investigation of John's disappearance. The defense also contended that Hager falsely misrepresented and reported information to superiors That was allegedly obtained from both informants and federal wiretaps about the claimed corrupt deputy. Now the jury, as we know, returned the verdict in favor of Hager, awarding him $806,000 for past lost earnings, $1.2 million for future lost earnings, and $2.5 million for non-economic damages totaling to $4.5 million. Hmm. So this screams deep state cover-up at the highest (laughs) level in California law enforcement.
1: Yeah. It, I mean, that's a very well, it could be a possible theory.
0: So that's, that's the information I have. <laughs> I want to hear your thoughts on this.
1: Okay. Well, like we do with every case, I kind of going through the most <laughs> do likely. We think
0: it, do we think it was animal attack?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I do not think it was animal attack. Um, that area will not, doesn't have any predators that are going to kill someone of John's skill. (laughs) Yeah. Not John. Not Uh, John. So I, I don't think it's animal attack. I, I think a possibility is he had an accident fell it. That would be, I think, I guess unlikely because he wasn't going out there to hike that day. He was going out to run. Yep. So he's staying on the trail. He wasn't going to be, you know, free climbing or anything like that. So there's no reason to expect that he was off the trail kind of bushwhacking around and he fell somewhere. So is it possible? Yes. Likely, probably not. I think suicide is a possible theory. The way he was acting with, you know, holding the gun to his head and kind of the look in his eyes and, you know, sounds like he's been going through, you know, trouble with his marriage. Uh, He's giving away all of his stuff. I think suicide is a very possible theory but i think it's also unlikely in the sense that they didn't find his body i most of the suicides we've read about in you know people that go out in the woods and commit suicide they do it in an area where they they're going to be found because they leave a, a suicide note and it you know they're going to they're going to find the person if they do that yep no, um, i totally agree so it, again is is suicide likely? I think it, it could be, be the way he was acting, but in this case, I don't know if that's what he was doing. I mean, maybe he was giving away his stuff because he was just going to, like, disappear himself and move somewhere else. But so I think that's a, a possible theory. I definitely could see him being involved in maybe the, un, you know, under, drug underworld and something went haywire and he was killed by, a, a you know, a dirt, another dirty cop. I mean, how many movies are there about that? Training Day. Um, there's another good one that I, I watched. And a lot of
0: them are based off of not obviously exactly how it happened, but they're based on true events or true stories of actual people.
1: Yeah. So a lot of those, a lot of those movies are, you know, loosely based on real events that have happened in the world. And to be honest, I a while back, I I can't remember the name of the book now, but I read a book about how the federal government or, you know, certain agents in the federal government were literally shipping narcotics up from South America through air force bases in Texas into Southern California.
0: And they were giving away fully automatic weapons to drug cartel members and tr- tracking them. But then they forgot to like track them. Remember that? And so they just gave, they just gave weapons away. So, I mean, it's, it's, it spans all types of administrations from federal top federal down to local. There's, there's, all tons of stories of that happening.
1: Yeah, I think it was a it wasn't Iran-Contra. It was uh, the, the federal government. And then this is all allegedly, obviously nothing I don't think ever will come out, you know, definitively proving this happened. But back in the 80s, allegedly uh, certain elements of the federal government were selling uh, narcotics in Southern California to fund revolutions down in South America. Um, And this spanned all various departments of law enforcement and a really fascinating book. But so getting back to the case, I think it's definitely possible that he was tied up in some kind of, you know, bunch of dirty cops are, you know, selling drugs or, Mm -hmm. you know, taking taking bribes to, to, you know, give safe passage to drug dealers. So that went to, you know, surprise me at all. And kind of your final theory that it's more... Deep state than just a couple dirty cops. That maybe the whole department's infected with people that are, you know, dirty, and you've got these, you know, detectives trying to do investigations and they're getting shut down by their superiors. I, again, that that's happened in real life. Yep, a lot of cops have gone to jail because of doing that very thing. So it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that he w- went to the punch bowl to meet some of these cops and they got rid of him because he was becoming too big of a problem or he was about to go public with something or who knows so i i like those you know i'm on the train of either he was, was a dirty cop and something went south or he was a good guy
0: and discovered too much and they took him out so i'm i'm going to blow right past all those other ones <laughs> that you said cause I agree with you no animal yep. i i I do not think suicide. No. I think he was acting goofy. Um, I think acting goofy could be attributed to him either coming to terms. So I'm going to go two. I'm going to go two routes here. Either he's an accomplice of some nefarious things. Yeah. Meaning he started to grow a conscience at some point, started giving things away, knowing that something bad could have happened, and he was going to blow the lid open, and they took care of him. Yeah. Or. It's true deep state type stuff and there's like the double the double edge of this. So it's either deep state stuff and they took care of him because he was getting onto it and he was being super cop and trying to end all the corruption and they're not going to allow that to happen. Yeah. And then this other guy, Hagger was lucky enough that he didn't get offed when he started reporting all that stuff. They just tried destroying his reputation, but it sounds very obvious that – this guy had all these commendations. He did such a great job, and then as soon as he turns in all this information on corruption in the LAPD, all of a sudden he's getting all these. Well, he's a terrible person. He lies. He does mm-hmm. all this crap. Uh, it's very clear that's bull. Yeah, and that's and obviously uh, the jury thought so as well by awarding him four point five million dollars in yep. twenty eighteen. But now, if I'm going to go Hollywood on this, <laughs> please it go could Hollywood. also. It could also be that he is now in witness protection program and he is helping to continue to uncover all this stuff. Yeah. And his death was faked so that he could do this because honestly, and this is where I don't even want to say it's too much Hollywood and that does sound like a script to a movie. If you have corruption in the LAPD going up the chain that high, that's no longer a local issue. That is a federal big deal, like Mm -hmm. department of justice type stuff. And if this guy reached out to the right people... now, And why I think that is because he was in special forces the military. So you know he's got contacts that are higher up in the federal level. So if he's seeing something going on and he needs to take care of it, all the things he was doing was not necessarily suicide flags. They were, I'm going to be gone flags. Yeah. And he knew he was going to be gone. And that's the one thing. Because if someone thought he was getting too close and followed him out there and did him in at the end of the night. Yeah. That's unprepared. But he seemed to be prepared to be gone. That's a good point. And that's what that's what tripped me because I thought about this quite a bit because like you can point to any of those things, Yeah, but when you look at everything together, if he's acting suicidal, sounds suicidal, it's either cuz he's suicidal or something else bigger is happening. Okay. Yep. So that means He's not going to be surprised because he's basically preparing for something to happen. So he's either preparing for something bad to happen or he knows what's going to happen and he's setting up his loved ones in the best way he can yeah. without tipping them off because he knows they're going to be interviewed. He knows that they're going to be questioned by the corrupt deputies and cops that he's going to be indicting potentially.
1: So basically, he he knew one of two things was going to happen maybe. He knew that either... He comes forward and he's gonna, you know, go in Witsec. But that's best case scenario. Worst case scenario, they they get to him first. So he he's probably under a lot of pressure leading up to when this was gonna happen. You know, there's probably like a date or a time and place. Maybe it was. Well, in Well, that's ball.
0: that's where I'm I'm thinking he doesn't think something. I I'm leaning more towards he knows he's going into Witsec at a certain time. Yeah, and it's almost like a man who's getting his affairs in order and his. Because when you read about him and his friends talk about him, he doesn't seem unstable until all of a sudden you're like, all right, a month before this incident, he's pointing a loaded gun at his head and screaming at his wife on the freeway. All of a sudden, these changes start occurring. So he must have something happened or he came across something and he's working with federal government and he's preparing to go into WITSEC to basically out all this. And his way of doing that is basically what would look like someone who's about to commit suicide. Now what if
1: before Witsec maybe he had to go to this location in the Punch Bowl? To, there had to be one final meetup to get the evidence they needed, and something went south and they shot him.
0: Maybe, I think that could be too. Maybe like, he yeah, never made it. He was wearing to, a
1: wire and he was going to meet somebody. Yeah, maybe then, they're like, "All right, we need you to go do this one more thing. Then we'll have the evidence we need. You can go to Witsec. These people go to jail." And then he goes there, and maybe they were tipped off and shot him.
0: That. I think that's, that's very possible based on the testimony of those witnesses, like that biker lady yep. um, from the outlaws and, and the other people. So it's, I think there's a lot to unpack and I feel like this Hagger guy got too close and they, I mean, yeah. lucky for him, he didn't he end just up got fired. in Punchbowl as well. Yeah, he just got fired and... It'd be interesting to see if, like, like you hear about these people who claim to have told them that they knew where the body was, and they knew this, and they reported it to these cops, and nothing ever came of it. Is it because they buried it?
1: Yeah. Well, so yeah, that's interesting. Um, out of all the cases we've done, I think this is the first case where there's really, I don't think there's any reason to believe that the wilderness caused this guy's disappearance <laughs> oh absolutely
0: not I have I have every other one of our cases
1: there's always been kind of a, a part of me that thinks well maybe they could have fallen attacked by a bear or a, you know some kind of predator or exposure but in this case I don't think the punch bowl had anything to do with this other than he was there at a specific time for a specific reason and now he's missing
0: yep no I 100% agree so I'll I'll just say with that I'm I'm excited for because we've been getting as our podcast grows because what do we what do we do like seventy two hundred downloads last month or something like our biggest month ever? Yeah, we had our what biggest
1: month ever last month, and we were over fifty thousand downloads now for the show, which uh, it's a big milestone. It's a big milestone. We never Joe and I never thought we'd. Uh, Get here. And I mean, after the first couple months of doing it, we were only getting, I think the first month we only got 200 downloads,
0: <laughs> <laughs> which was a big for us at that time. Yeah. But what I love about having this many people listen to the show is we're starting to get people messaging us their theories more so than ever before. And yeah, it's awesome because there's things people are saying that are are some are nutty, some are funny, some are just like, but they make us think differently. Even like the craziest theories, they make us start thinking about things differently.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I apologize. I can't remember the lady's name. She messaged, messaged us about uh, Charles McCuller. Um, oh, I, I
0: didn't read the full thing yet. She wrote like a whole epitaph. Yeah, it, that guy. it was really good. And I read some of it and I was like, OK, I got to dive into this and we should totally let's read it and dissect it and do maybe even do like a quick short episode or something where we can. Where yeah, we can talk it was about it.
1: it was really good. Uh, a great theory. Essentially, she thought that maybe he tried to hang himself and that's why all the clothing fell in kind of a straight, you know, Pile on the. Ground. All right, all right. Don't say anymore. <laughs> don't say we're anymore. Gonna,
0: we're we're gonna do like a shorty. I don't even know what we'd call it. Like a kind of like the bear boy one. We'll do like a, a, a update. We could potential. do a we
1: could do an episode with a couple updates from previous cases. With you know, I new. I like it. Uh, but yeah, before we go, we've got we've got two more episodes. We'll have one more kind of case related episode coming up, and then we're gonna wrap up kind of the spring. Series of shows with a a really fun episode about uh, Area 51. (laughs) Well, that would be
0: good. Yeah, we'll do as If you've been listening to us for the last, since we started, we always do kind of a little break over summer. A, because we like to enjoy summer because we get so (laughs) little summer in Wisconsin. Yes. And B, because sometimes we just need a break.
1: Yeah, Joe, (laughs) I I know Joe is super busy. He's got a whole brood of children and. (laughs) <laughs> uh, lots of irons in the fire. And, oh, and
0: you got a wedding to plan for. Mike's getting married. <laughs> yeah. He's off the market, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> You've been off the market, but you're finally just getting married. So yeah. That's
1: good. So that, yeah, that'll happen later in the fall. But um, the the final episode will probably be released around the 4th of July, and it's going to be a really fun episode on Area 51. I'm sure, obviously, Area 51's been talked about for you know, ad nauseum, ad nauseum. <laughs> so why not add another voice into the mix? But we'll do oh, it. I'm
0: sure we'll, we'll have fun with it. I'm sure we'll piss people off. We'll do it in our own little little
1: way that we do cases like the Alaska <laughs> Triangle and uh, things like that. So it'll be a fun episode. And then we'll have some information on a promotion for playing cards coming up. And what else, Joe? I'm trying to think if there's anything else I've missed. Oh, we no. had our first Patreon. Oh, patron <laughs> oh,
0: a Patreon, Patreon, patron yeah <laughs> so
1: um uh, we'll give a shout out to him in our post on facebook but like we always say if you want to help the show out um please feel free you know head over to patreon we updated kind of the the benefits at different levels so um some of the levels will allow you know we'll, we can get on zoom hangouts and um chat about cases and you know hiking backcountry me hiking, whatever you want to talk about. So check out Patreon. And if you want to help the show out, you like listening, you know, go over there. The lowest level is a dollar. So, um, you know, there I think, I think if we have, you know, we've got 14, over 14,000, uh, followers on Facebook. So, uh, if everyone just gave a dollar each, we could really up the production value.
0: <laughs> you could, you could go do this full time. Yeah. I'll still do it part time. <laughs> I got to feed six people. I can't quit for that. No, you need the Joe Rogan <laughs> money. I did, did, everyone, <laughs> everyone needs Joe Rogan money. Are you kidding me? <laughs> what do you get? Like a hundred million dollars. Hundred million. Yeah. I thought my post on that was very funny. My wife didn't think it was that funny. I thought it was funny. It was pretty funny. But anyway, (laughs) well, we, we appreciate all of you, our loyal listeners, and our sponsors that help keep the show going. And remember, when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or just taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.